<laughs> Welcome to Film Fight Club with music from which film is that from? Uh, I don't know. I, nobody knows Glenn as we were commenting <laughs> over the intro. This film we don't talk about. Yeah. Anyway, so yes, I'm Glenn. Glenn Falconstein from Falcon Screen. This is Film Fight Club, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo. And freelance writer and critic Rut Nehru. Hello, hello. So it is festival season. We're going to be talking in a moment about the Sydney Latin American Film Festival and later in the program about Crazy Rich Asians, which is in cinemas this week. One we've been very keen to, I know at least a few of us have been very, very keen to get on to chatting about. Yeah, everyone's talking about it at the moment. Um, I have a few theories as to why. Yes, it's the film. Yeah, it, it depends. Unless you have a comma in there in case it's crazy rich and Asian, so it's fine as well. We'll be discussing commas and punctuation and all that later <laughs> in the program. But first, we are talking about the Sydney Latin American Film Festival. It kicks off tomorrow night at Dendi Cinema's Opera Keys. And we have the director of the SLAF, Giselle Gajago. Giselle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Glenn. But I like the title of director, but no, I'm um, the programmer and I'm one of many volunteers that give their time to the festival. Well, thank you for being here. I'm very keen. I remember last year, the opening night, I had so much fun. I'm very keen to talk about this opening night and the opening night film. But first, can you tell us all about SLAF? What is it? What is it all about? Well, so it's a non-for-profit organization. It's a volunteer run. Mainly 80% people that um, give their time to SLAF are volunteers. And we do it because we believe in a cause, which is a community support program. We call it CSB, and it's about donating money to grassroots programs back in Latin America. So you come, you watch a film, you have fun, and then you're also supporting great organizations back home. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, really noble ambition. That's marvelous. Thanks. So the social element and it brings in the community, and, um, and certainly you can see the community come to all the events. It's very, all the ev- nights are very, very vibrant. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we were just talking about that beforehand, that we want to make the cinema more accessible. So we show at different venues that are not usually your theaters or mainstream theaters, and they're cheaper venues. They're venues where you can have like lots of events and just getting the cinema out there to people who wouldn't normally be able to go to the cinema. And where are some of the venues this year? I know we t- I mentioned Dendi Opera Keys earlier, but there's one near my house which I'm particularly keen to revisit. It's, a, I think, underused film venue and a particularly exciting one. Yes, it's the Addison Road Picture House, which is in Addison Road in Merrickville. And then the third venue is PTY Fairfield, which is also a very community um, small venue. So, um, yeah, what drew you to look to these more out-of-the-way, um, more unusual kind of places to screen films? I think Addison Road Picture House is actually um, headquarters for us. That's where we're based, and that's where most actually of the volunteers um, live. So I think it feels like home away from home. So it's always been a great venue for our indigenous uh, program in June and from other like one-off events. So I think it was important for us to come back home. And PTY Fairfield, because um, we always go west, and I think we've just done different venues, and we thought Fairfield, yeah, it's a place where we started, and 13 years later we come back to Fairfield. Yeah, great. Beautiful. Now, we're going to get on to Fairfield and Addison Road later in the program, but first, I'm very keen to talk about the opening night film and party, which is taking place at the at a, one, at a wonderful location. Can you tell us about the opening night film? Yes, it's called Spider Thieves by Guillermo Hello, and it's his first film, and it's the story of these three young girls that come from a very disadvantaged area in Chile, and they just get up to mischief, and it's the idea that we have such social disadvantages areas, and there's a big gap between the rich and the poor, 
one thing that they say while they're looking at their home from a, um, a mountain is like, how come nobody can see us? Like, we seem to be invisible to the rest of the world. And one day, they just go to these beautiful apartment buildings, and they literally climb the walls and get into an apartment just to see how the other half lives and try sushi for the first time and a comfortable bed. And it's the story of these three mischiefs and what happens to them. It sounded, um, reading the description, it sounded a bit like uh, the Sofia Coppola film from a few years ago, The Bling Ring, but with much more of a social conscience by uh, the sound of it. It's funny how you say it. I actually didn't think it did, but um, because I think the difference is that um, the area is actually one of the areas. It's actually real. And it's based on true facts. Like they were actually um, in 2005, there were three, these three girls and then it became a play and then he adapted the play. But I think the issue there is that the area does exist and they, they seem to be portrayed as people who are poor are therefore thieves. But that's not the case. You know, you can still be poor and don't do bad things. But so that's kind of the the argument that it's put forward. Like you just can't judge people because of the way they live and how they live. You know, it's a, a thing of circumstances as well. Mm. Well, I will be there, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm like keen to talk about the following night, because there's a film playing from Brazil, which is where a number of my family are from. So I'm very keen to see that and to hear your thoughts on that movie. Yeah, so that movie is wonderful. It's called Liquid Truth, and it's also based on a play from a Catalan um, writer. And what I like about it is that Carolina Habor is an independent filmmaker. So she um, she's one of a handful of Brazilians that just went off and decided not to go for the commercial, typical formula of the Brazilian uh, big, big box office. And here he re- she really challenges the audience to see where the truth lies. And she presents this beautiful character who happens to be... Um, uh, swim teacher and then these parents of this adorable kid who just goes home and tells them something that may may not have happened and from there is who do you believe and whose side are you on and what happens when social media goes bad and you know you just question every second you're questioning who is right or wrong. It did sound like a pretty provocative subject matter especially in the current social climate to put this out. I'm pretty interested to see the direction the film goes in. Absolutely. And I think it, uh, I, I was confronted about putting it out there, but I think the way she deals with the subject matter is really interesting and how the characters evolve, especially the parents. It really questions a lot of the things that people may already have these preconceived ideas. And you could be a really bad person, but you may not do bad things again. Right, yeah. right. Interesting. And another one, uh, we met last week with, um, well, actually, this, it's festival season at the moment. And what's really <laughs> exciting is that you're doing a number of collaborations with different festivals, including one on Saturday evening with a festival that is coming up at the Factory Theatre soon, very close to Addison Road, the Sydney Underground Film Festival. Yes. And they are co-presenting with us an amazing field called Tigers Are Not Afraid from Mexico. And this is really, for me, it's a, you know, a must-see. We hardly present this genre in the festival but it's a bit of a horror fantasy like I'm a huge fan of this Latin American writer Gabriel Garcia Marquez and it's oh, kind of the, there you go yeah. so it's kind of this real magical realism but in this instance it's these little kids and how that fantasy and that world kind of helps them survive these the streets of Mexico and they're quite amazing kids and their acting is superb and it just came out from two sold out sessions at MIF so that's great Mm. Oh, very good. Yeah, we we all were just down there, but I missed that one. So I I'm missed very... it as well. But yeah, I'm really really keen. We'll, we might catch you at that session. Yes, definitely. I will. I will be at that one yeah. too. And can I just say that Isa Lop is a director. Um, she's actually now co-producing with Guillermo del Toro her next film. Wow. And she's going to Hollywood now. So she is 
watch that space because she's going to be one of those superstars, another Mexican superstar. Yeah, they're really taking Hollywood by storm at the moment. It's Yeah, it's happening everywhere. It's very impressive. And another collaboration I'm going to talk about is with Queer Screen, which is also happening in the coming weeks, which is a film I think it's screening in the, in the coming days? Friday as well, Friday, after yes. Liquid Truth. Yep. And the film is called Retablo, and that's actually in Spanish. Is these little wooden boxes that you make out of potato figurines, and they're actually real, that you go to churches and they're the retablos. It's kind of part of the culture, and they're artisans, and it's quite labor-intensive to make them. So it tells a story in this Andean um, t- little town and rural town uh, in Peru, um, about this dad um, that makes his figurines and wants to tell his teaches her son teach his son about this, and it's all spoken in Quechua, which is an indigenous language. So it's beautiful. And then what happens when you're learning the craft of your dad? You really tr- think your dad is the best thing, and then you find out something about your dad that questions what you think about him. And then the story unfolds from there. It's actually beautifully shot. Like you get to see it. I get that intense of that um, rural living and, and traditions and what it is to be in these sort of places in rural Peru. So it's beautiful. Lovely. Um, yeah, so there's also a family day, I think, with the film Metagol. Yeah. Right? Actually, that sounded interesting. Yeah, there's two family days, if you can say. So Metagol is underdog, so it's futsal, you know, the table tennis. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. So it's an uh, animation Argentinian film. It's really cute, and it's kind of, you know, the good versus the bad and what happens if you're good or versus you're bad. There's an also, and their kids will be able to play uh, football at the back and just play a bit of a game and have some street food, Latin American street food. And then the second family day, it's actually called Home Team. And it's also about football. But in this instance, it's what happens when you're like the next Neymar, Ronaldo, like the best next thing. Hey, Ronaldo. Yeah. (laughs) And then big fan. And then someone comes and says, oh, you know, you're the best. Come. You're young. You don't need to study. Just come and I'll teach you. You'll be the best. And then you drag your family. And then that's where it all starts. Mm. And that's one of the, is that the Uruguayan film? That's the Uruguayan film. That's right. Yes. Very keen. It sounded um, like it's... Is it about the conflict between family and pursuing your own goals? Actually, it's not. It's what happens when your family depends on your income and then then your family wants to tell you that there are other things besides football in your life and that you have to do other things. But then you rely on your son's income to do it. So is that kind of that tension that lies but it does put also a bit of question and and here the bad person is a Brazilian oh oh, (laughs) Oh, no oh Oh, oh, dear oh yeah so he comes and it's kind of when they go to the little leagues and really um, get these kids really early and kind of throw them to the deep end and what happens there as well Interesting. I'm very keen to hear about that. Uh, we've been talking about uh, sport and soccer in uh, South America in the past weeks on the show, particularly with the World Cup. So it's very much yes. in theme. And another one I'm keen to talk about, We another um, guest we had on last week was the fellows from Kino, um, Brian and Christina. And we understand that you have a different, not so much a film, but a bit of a different event happening with them at the wonderful Addison Road. Yes. So that's actually our short film competition. So there's six films directed by women, uh, young women. They're all very different. In this instance, we combine documentary, animation and fiction. And they're all diverse stories in the the dynamic. And also, but also it's also about a different view from young people. So all of them showcase the young people but in very different ways and different sceneries so you go from the coast in Venezuela to a little park in Cuba where the first Wi-Fi was connected right okay interesting (laughs) it's gonna be fun 
Lumpkin and Osa that night. There's a double, and I remember I saw the. I went to the um, uh, pre program launch, and this was actually one of all those that caught my eye because it's. I understand it's a mockumentary, but there's an element of it. At least one actor who is very, very real. Yes. So the second session is actually um, a local filmmaker, David Varga, who's going to pre- world premiere of his short called Samburu Moran, which is about Afro-Latino and um, the carnival in Uruguay, followed by, yes, the mockumentary called Get the Weed. So the premise is that, and this is real, Uruguay was the first country to actually legalize um, cannabis in the world, except that they never thought about how are we going to supply. So then he decides that he goes to the States to secure 50000 tons of cannabis to bring back to your wife. As you do. As you do, of course. And you bring your mom (laughs) and you teach her how to use a bong. (laughs) It's quite... And then you bring the police because that's what you do, obviously, the Uruguayan police. And then you bring the president on board who actually is the former president, Pepe Mujica, who plays himself. Wow. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I love hearing these stories. Remember Andrew Barr, the former chief chief minister of the ACT, played the head of an anarchist collective in um, a Billy Zane film film that happened a couple of years ago. So I love yeah. when, like, we can poke fun at ourselves. We, we, we can get in on this. Yeah, and I think Uruguayans are particularly good at it. I think they really are very happy to make fun of themselves and their situation and their how absurd things are sometimes. Hmm. Wonderful. Now, the festival, it's starting tomorrow night. It's happening from the 6th through to the 13th. It sounds like there's quite a party planned for the opening night. Yes. So the after party is actually going to happen in Darling Harbour at Café del Mar. We have uh, three different bands, a DJ. So bring your dancing shoes because it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. I, I, I went last year. I had an absolute ball. We were there till quite, till quite very, very late and doing, my da- doing dancing. And it was such a surprise and it was so lovely. So I'm so excited for tomorrow night. And for others who are listening and who are excited, whether they want to go to this or one of the other sessions, how do we get tickets? Where do we go? Yes. So go to our website, www.sydneylatinofilmfestival.org or check us on Facebook and click the links and please buy lots of tickets and support us so we can send money to the grassroots projects back home. Right. Um, are there any more films or any film in particular you'd recommend outside of the ones we've mentioned so far? La Familia. It's a Venezuelan film. It's the first film that was in Cannes from Venezuela. And Gustavo is a handful of um, directors that are still back home in Venezuela. I've seen everyone has left. Unfortunately, there's a big brain drain. Most of them are in Mexico now. And he was brave enough to actually shoot this film in Venezuela. So it's kind of it's going to be a handful of films from a couple of years that have been shot in Venezuela. And I actually have a very sad story. One of the um, short filmmakers from Venezuela, I w- couldn't get her short. And l- then she got in touch with me and she said, actually, we had a, a shortage of seven hours. So that's why I can't get onto my net and, and send you my short. So it's that's the situation in Venezuela. Right. So it's such a hurdle to overcome to even be screening a film, let alone make something yes, correct. good. Right. Yes, and there certainly aren't any other festivals highlighting films from this region of the world and certainly films in Venezuela, which has been sad, so sadly in the news. But uh, it's, I'm so glad that we can be exposed to so many different countries and so many different cultures in the space of all of, what, six or seven days. I know. It's very exciting. We have a film from Panama closing, so that's quite exciting too. You hardly get to see anything. And in this particular documentary, you actually get to see Panama City, which you I've never seen on the screen in Sydney. So I am really excited for all this to see how beautiful it is. I don't think I've ever seen a film from Panama, so I'm I'm keen too. Giselle, it has been so lovely, and we can't wait to catch all the great flicks at SLAF. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, all Thank of you. you. Thanks. And we'll be back right after this. 
And that was generic Disney theme number 43. You should have seen Glenn's face. If you guys could see Glenn's face right now, he was actually just transported back to his childhood. But this is because Glenn has poor taste in music, as we oh, established last week oh, when he said the no, best James sir, Bond no, theme sir, was... No, for the sixth time this year, I'll have you know. Yeah, see... It, I mean, it's clearly Goldfinger, isn't it? But he, but according to Glenn, for those who missed Goldfinger. last week, the best James Bond theme is You Know My Name. That's like the most milk toast, like the, the least... Oh, wow. I mean, most that's as bad as saying The Living Daylight. The Living Daylight is amazing. That's catchy. It's not one of the best, but it's better than You Know My Name. I actually listened to that separately to like you know my James Bond theme. List. It's catchy. And it's a great movie. It's an underrated it, movie. It's a good yeah. movie and it's a good song, I, I, it's but uh-huh. it's not the best song. And neither no. is you know my name. Actually, but why you know my name? That's like it, it, is it Voldemort? It's is Bond. It Voldemort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it just such a like hook at the beginning. It it sets the tone better than almost any other for the film that ensues. But the chorus is just, is so like lacking. It's so kind of so like straight ahead. Like it, it's not. It doesn't have like the catchy hook that something like Goldfinger has. Mm. Oh no, I I found the beginning and the beginning to be very na, good. Na, and also you have to remember when the when the Mad Men made those of sorts gold. of themes. And, and you what know. about what about um. Uh, the, the the spy who loved me one oh, nobody does yes. it better right yes now we're talking nobody does, does it better. better Carly Simon was amazing but the, I, 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 we can't live just touch it we can't just touch the theme Live, okay, Live and Let Die was great. Um, if you do a kill, was great. But in theme, we can't just talk about the music. We have to talk about the titles itself. And before Mad Men made it passe, they had the coolest theme montage following, like, I don't know, Catch Me If You Can. Like, yeah, it was it, really ace. It was it was all right. Let's, but uh, Guy but, Hamilton made James Bond. There's nothing. Like, they followed the same template. So we got to give credit to the original creator of Bond image on screen. And that's it. That's Goldfinger. People have followed that template. Everything else after that is passe. God, it wasn't even Shirley Bassey's best one, like uh, Diamonds Are Forever. I, I, Diamonds Are Forever I, 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 is great. Yeah, oh, that's but, great. Um, and Moonraker even. Oh yeah. What? But um, but what about Crazy Rich Asians? Yes, which definitely deserved a theme song. A la James it it should have had a theme like it that. Should have had a theme. Yeah, and that is the it is a new the new Asian American <laughs> extravaganza <laughs> at Singaporean extravaganza yeah, in cinemas now. Parade. Yes, uh, it is starring Constance Wu as Rachel, who falls for handsome, handsome, handsome bachelor. Nick, played by Henry Golding, and he says, you have to come meet, we've been dating for a while, he has to come meet my mom. So they fly over from New York to Singapore to meet his mother and her family, played by Michelle Yeoh, and we, it is in Singapore that we encounter the crazy rich Asians of the title. Now, we've all seen this. It's getting quite a buzz in Australia and around the world. It's a, it's a phenomenon. It's a breakout phenomenon. Virat, what do we think of crazy rich Asians? Okay, so I went to see this movie with my family, and it's not a f- movie that I would usually like. I don't go to see movies with my family. I'm a, I'm a film critic, okay? You know, I try to see them alone in, in a dark, empty room and brood. In my, sor- my sorrow and solitude. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I don't have fun, happy times with my family. That's not a thing I do. So I tried to change it up a bit because I was unwell. So I was like, okay, you know, family, I'll give you, a, throw you a bone or whatever. We go see a movie. And this was what was playing, a crazy rejection. So I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'll go see it with you and, you know, pretend to enjoy it. And to my surprise, it's not about my enjoyment. They really enjoyed it. My mum and dad, and they have no taste in movies. I mean, not saying good or bad. I'm saying no taste. They don't care about cinema. Hi, mum and dad. <laughs> well, it's, they probably, probably don't even listen to this show. But anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> the thing is, I was so surprised because they actually 
emotionally got involved with the movie. And maybe that's something which I need to acknowledge. Despite this being a good film or a bad film, that's a separate thing altogether. I think there's something that this movie is tapped into about Asian representation on screen well, that's really it- connecting with definitely Asian people across the board. That's something that really surprised me because I really but- thought, you know... How much will that actually make a difference? Okay, but I feel like everyone has, uh, re- you know, looked at the movie from this lens. I'd like us to actually talk about it as a film. Yeah, no, no, no. I wanted to get that out of the way so that I could acknowledge the token representation. Like it, it is then, a milestone yes. that there's the, a big Hollywood film where you know there's no white characters. Yeah. Everyone's Asian, and meets a different dynamic. It's various a different, different, and it's not only, characters played by Asian people, not and, just Asian stereotypes. And it's not the only film like that that is playing right now. I'm searching yeah. a, a much better film, which is very good with John Cho, but also a film I saw the other night to all the boys I've loved before, which is not all Asian oh, cast. Netflix, yes, yes. Oh, that that hot tub scene. Oh, we Pete, talk about that. Peter Kaminsky. <laughs> Peter Kaminsky. <laughs> okay. We've established Asian people can be hot. Okay, that's that's a step forward. Anyway, but actually coming back to what Chris was trying to say, yes, this movie, despite, you know, we can talk about it as a milestone film, but if we take that away, this movie doesn't really offer you much. It's essentially, the Asian people are just playing white caricatures of how white people would imagine Asian people to be. Or maybe how Asian American people think of Asian people to be. Because, um, you know, a lot of this movie is about the clash between Americanized Chinese people versus the supposed culture of people in mainland China or Singapore, right? Um, that, you know, we we are superior because we have the Americanized values and Chinese people have chosen in, an inferior life of punishing themselves and not accepting the freedoms that we have. Exactly. Rau, rau, America. Capitalism versus, you know, the state apparatus and the ruling. And the family, you know, family focus of sacrifice to keep your family happy. That's really what the conflict of the film is about. Individualism is better than, you know, family, which family holds you back. Individualism lets you thrive and you can make lots of money and be handsome and shirtless while you're at it. I I have a theory about why this film is such a phenomenon right now, apart from it being considered a milestone film in terms of representation um, um being you know a big asian cast led film at at this point in history which is just that people really miss rom-coms um in in this age hollywood's been pumping out so much um you know comic book extravaganza cgi driven films that um we've forgotten that the summer months also used to have character-driven blockbusters in the form of these rom-coms, and they've completely dried up in the landscape. That genre entirely disappeared, and it was huge, um, pretty much from the the 70s through till about around 2005 or so before it completely vanished. Um, It's not that long ago that we were inundated with these types of films, and then suddenly Crazy Witch Asians comes along, and it follows beat by beat a lot of classic rom-com structure. This is actually a really traditional rom-com. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about this film uh, purely in terms of structure and narrative. This there is not a scene in this film where you will not sit a few minutes before and no, not know what is going to ensue, what is going to happen. It is for the most part a heavily, heavily predictable film. And I find myself thinking of the classic, you know, Notting Hills and all that. Yeah, we've seen the way that the way that the um, complications hit in these rom coms and the way they get resolved is so formulaic. And this movie. Completely but, but the thing follows is, that structure. 
uh, what my issue with the film is that the film doesn't even have genuine complications to begin with. It doesn't really know what complications it needs to address. It doesn't address the wealth disparity, which it's trying to tease about, and it never actually is addressed in a way apart from I mean, the fact that there is a jet that you can board. Uh, well, it is sort of like you're not good enough because you're not rich, but but the bigger thing is because you're American. Exactly. The like the, the, the cultural it. sort of subtext, which is, I think, more dangerous and actually quite uh, you know, dynamic in that sense, and it's difficult to talk about without... You know, you're going in places and acknowledging your own prejudice. Ironically, the film is about prejudice, but it doesn't acknowledge its own prejudice against its own characters. So in a way, it's well, quite... What, what do you mean by that? Blind. Uh, in the sense that, look, like you mentioned, uh, this prejudice that American Asians think how Asian people live in their kind of back home. Yeah. And that's a very prejudiced, blinkered point of view, to think that that's how two-section society might live, and then stereotype based on that. It's a movie trying to break away from stereotypes and establishing other stereotypes. But isn't it also playing, trying to play up these stereotypes? It's poking fun at these stereotypes a lot of the time. That's a lot of the uh, the cachet the film is trying to go for. It, like the opening sequence with the texting scene, that is something which people watching will like, oh, I recognize this as a hallmark of this or that, and will, and will, and but obviously incredibly exaggerated. Uh, it would work, but I don't think... Everyone was in on the joke, and I think that's the problem. It it doesn't establish a baseline where it is self-aware enough. It's not woke enough. It's you know going back to that kind of understanding where you can you can't say whether or not the film itself realizes what it's doing. I think that's more unintentional. Let's crack a joke because it's ha ha funny rather than self-aware funny. Are we giving this film? Are we treating this film too seriously? I mean, it's a fun... I mean, yes, it deals with some serious subject matters, and yes, um, we need to t- talk about it in the cultural context that it exists, and that it is, as Chris alluded to, a very significant milestone. But at the end of the day, it is a rom-com, and an extremely formulaic one Extremely formulaic one. Can but, I but, talk about it? In yes, that, that, sorry. Oh, no, yes. no, I, I don't... I mean, we could continue the, this... Uh, <laughs> let's, let's take it. <laughs> yes, Chris. Um, no, I just... on. I think it's not as effective a rom-com as it should be, because I think there's almost no chemistry between... The, between Nick and Rachel, and there's barely any time spent devoted to actually watching these two interact. Um, it doesn't really balance up the runtime between the complications of um, you know the pressures of the family surrounding Rachel um, and time spent to remind you of the anchoring power of the actual relationship that is being challenged and is at stake. Um, So when the movie moves to its inevitable conclusion, um, you don't so much feel that this relationship is so strong that it can overcome all of these complications of the family putting on pressure on the son as you just feel um, that, you know, generically love conquers all or rather that the mechanics of the rom-com will steamroll any other complications from having too much of an impact because I I can't say what it is about this relationship that is powerful or strong enough. I I don't think it's really a deeply romantic film in any way. You know what was stronger for me? The couple who was going to get married. We spent a lot less time with them, but I felt more very invested. Way more invested in their their relationship. And their their wedding scene happened. I mean, and this is something we have to talk about, the visual elements of this film. There were some stunning set pieces, first and foremost among them, the wedding. But the wedding was generally emotional because the little exposure we had to these characters, we felt these are people who have a two really strong, genuine connection. That's right, yeah. So when the, the movie is going to be built around the will they or won't they, you need to have, I think, more investment than you do in this kind of relationship um, between Rachel and and um, Nick. 
than you do. I, I, I thought it was more a love story between Rachel and Nick's mother. It's it's the yeah. it's the hate story of like yeah. look at how but, I'm going to that, that that's that's the central relationship. In, in, yeah, that's central relationship in the film. That's right. That is the central. Uh, relationship. You know, yeah. I, almost it's like true. Nick doesn't exist insofar as. Yeah, so he's shirtless. That's okay. But and look, he exists only for that. But in that regard, then I feel like the movie, you know, the the big make you cry, whatever stuff at the end, should be framed around the battle of wits between these two women, as opposed to pretending to exactly. be about a relationship. I, I, I totally agree. I totally film, agree. The best scene in the film is confrontation at the very end between two central characters. It's unspoken, but um, it's extremely powerful. Yeah, that was, and that's the most that was good. In the film. Um, one more thing. I think this movie has a, a strange kind of relationship to wealth because on some ha- on one hand, it's sort of trying to show you that, okay, people are deeply conservative and bitchy um, in a, because of the, inward, you know, the hermetic wealth, world of their wealth. But on the other hand, the visual extravaganzas, like the wedding you were talking about before, are just um, there to show you how great wealth is. Like the, yeah, the $40 million wedding looks incredible and romantic but there's something weird about that kind of romanticized wealth like yeah i hope it looks amazing it cost 40 million dollars like what is the the politics of trying to overwhelm an audience and make them cry with how romantic it looks when you've got you know tens of millions of dollars to throw away on on meaningless triviality so that was Crazy Rich Asians. It is in cinemas now. The Sydney Latin American Film Festival kicks off tomorrow night at Denison Opera Keys at PTY Field at the Addison Road Picture House in Marrickville. It will be screening through to the 13th. We will be back next week with the director of the Sydney Underground Film Festival, Stefan Popescu, to talk about the incredible slate and very interesting. We're all very keen to chat about and go through and spend the entire weekend watching. So this has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Emmons and Virat Nehru. Stay tuned for The Sonic Assassin and... Have a wonderful night and enjoy movies. Stay crazy. Stay rich. Stay... Get rich. Stay awesome. And this has been the Film Marxists on 2SCR. (laughs) Good night.